Follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you doing? Doing good, Shad. I'm doing good. I'm glad to hear it. I want to say thank you, everybody, for joining us for this episode. Get our shout-outs taken care of right here at the beginning. The first one is going to go to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, collarandelbowbrand.com. Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast. That's the number four, capital C and Corners, capital P and Podcast, to save 10% off your order. Our other shout-out is... I would appreciate it if if you felt inclined to help folks in eastern Kentucky. You can donate through the Apple Shop, A-P-P-A-L-S-H-O-P dot org. Folks down there could still use your help. Then we're going to pass the ball over to Matt. Uh, that would be to Orlando Cologne. Uh, Orlando Cologne hoped he's spending a lot of time on the beach this summer. It's not quite summer yet. It's still cold. Yeah. Uh, but maybe you can see him there. Wait. What is that I hear? <laughs> is that Orlando coming in with the lifeguards? <laughs> That's better than any of the music we heard on pretty much most of this show. That's true. It was but... weird because I think some of it was legitimate, but a lot of it reminded me of like the farty like NES. I mean SNES music you got back in the day. Mm, okay. Uh, there's a charm though to like the the MIDI MIDI yeah. sound. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like hard to it's hard to like remember like that that's a guy coming out that like who that is you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like oh I, who, I I'm excited about the guy that has the level three music for this one. Hmm. <laughs> so uh, as we had said in the past, we're going to be going into Beach Blast '92 tonight. Uh, really looking forward to this. Lots of good stuff on the show. So, uh, Brad, where do we get started from? Well, I want to say it's nice that they've like got the announcer situation under control. Mm-hmm. Because when we started these shows, there were just like announcers everywhere. And it was a lot of people to keep track of. And they've really like pared it down to you have Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura. And then you have kind of Tony and Eric Bischoff like as like the hosts. Mm-hmm. So we kick off. And so um, this would be like the first show I think where Bill Watts is really in control just because they, they kind of reiterate like the, the no top rope moves and then the, the, the mats are gone. But he also he also comes out and he's introduced as like the VP of something or other. And he kind of gives you a rundown of the show, which mm-hmm. I actually thought he did a really good job. Yeah, yeah, he really did. Because I like that he took the time, like, he kind of gave you, like, logic. He's like, you know, okay, well, Sting and Cactus Jack are doing this, and we're waiving all the rules for mm-hmm. this match. Like, he kind of 
he kind of made sure or even like the light heavyweights he's like you know hey these guys are smaller so they work even harder mm-hmm. than the big yeah. guys like i i thought he did a really good job of like setting the show up because mm-hmm. we're used to like earlier. we're used to like suits that aren't great in this spot right 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 so we kick this off and we have scotty flamingo versus brian pillman for the they call it the light heavyweight title um yes it's the light heavyweight championship scotty flamingo of course if you don't know uh scott levy scott levy uh not quite sure how you pronounce it but aka raven yeah and back in the day like because this is this right here i'll get into it a little bit later on this right here is where i began watching wrestling uh, and I was, I was very young, so I knew like, nothing about it. But like this, like this show basically is where I started watching wrestling. So I've been a wrestling fan now over 30 years, which makes me feel very old. <laughs> but it, this is where I started. And back in the day, it's like I I was familiar with Scotty Flamingo. And I was like shocked later on when he became Johnny Polo and then Raven. Yeah. I didn't, think, I didn't, didn't necessarily know it was the same guy. Initially. It's it's weird. Um. Well, a couple observations about about Scotty Flamingo, aka a Raven, at this point in his career. Mm. Um, one, I'm shocked that he spent like almost his entire career covering himself up because he actually has a pretty decent physique. Mm-hmm. Um, he may not have later. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, he starts covering up like the second he leaves. But also, he's um he's really good in this match, and I would say the worst, the the weakest part of his game is his offense is a little antiquated. He when he's on offense, it doesn't it doesn't really seem to have kind of the punch that you would expect in the era. So um, except the power slam, the power slam he did power was, slam was solid. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing: is even if that's the case, he sells like a beast in this match. He does fantastic. Now there's even stuff like. Um... There's little stuff he does that you don't see a lot of people doing on selling. Like, so there's like a point where he's gotten beaten up a bit and he and Pillman start exchanging punches. And like when he does the punch, he's kind of like, oh, I'm so like worn out, like as he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Like there's little things like that that really add to his his selling. I'm trying to remember. There was a spot somewhere in the middle of it where he did a big face plant. And I mean, he just, it would be real easy to kind of cheese that bump, but I mean, he just went for it into it. It might've been one of those kick out from the corner spots and then he just, just flattened hard. I'm not, I don't remember exactly. I didn't write it down, but it, it looked fantastic. He really worked hard in this match. Mm-hmm. I mean, both of them did. It, it came out really good. It did not feel like a 17 and a half minute match to watch it. No, this is, it, did, it, this... it didn't. This is, Probably like the longest match in the show, right? No. Oh, actually, the, no. I take it back. There's two 30-minute yeah. matches so, yeah, on the yeah. show. That's right. I, I forgot. Mm-hmm. And I think um I think the six man was like 15-ish minutes. Yeah. Um, it is 15 and a half. Yes. Okay. But yeah, this went by really quick. I thought this is a great opener, though. Mm-hmm. Like really. Like, I would say if, if we were to snowflake it, it's probably like a three and a half star match. But, like, it served its purpose really well. It got the crowd hyped up. Mm-hmm. And they were out there doing, like, a specific job. Yeah. Another thing that I liked about this is that 
there was some clear like psychology with the finish mm-hmm. because uh, Pillman goes to do like a big spot uh, onto Flamingo. They had this is back in the day when WCW would have that ramp and the ramp would go all the way to the ring. Uh, and Pillman goes to do like this a uh, spot uh, on him, mm-hmm. uh, like a, a tope onto the ramp, and Flamingo just moves. And uh, Pillman just eats it. He just eats it on the rampway. And yeah. they, they, the, the psychology where it plays into the finish is that they didn't do like practically anything else after that. Like he, Pil- Flamingo just basically like, throws him back in the ring and like pins him. And, like because Pillman yeah. is just like done after that spot, which makes sense because like if you're gonna sell it like oh this is a really devastating move like it's high risk etc. Then it does make sense that that be like this is this is what happens like if you miss this sort of thing like this is what happens the the risk you take it really just wiped him out and it caused flamingo to win the title right there yeah and um, is that a, is that a bill watts type of thing because i've heard that it's like that's something that he was i guess notable for like he had a lot of clean finishes yeah he likes clean finishes yeah then we go to um jesse's a little upset because they're doing it's Missy Hyatt versus uh, Medusa in like a ongoing swimsuit competition. I don't know what they called it. So essentially, what this is is Medusa and Missy Hyatt are going to be in three segments, and they are going to get more scantily clad as each um, segment goes. It's and, the uh, the first lady of WCW competition. Yeah, oh. and so Jesse's a little upset because they picked Johnny B. Bad for. Um, the MC. Yeah. Now I have to say, I used to hate the Johnny B. Bad gimmick, but he's really uh, growing on me as we've like progressed through this. It's a uh, it's interesting because obviously when he started with WCW, he was as a heel, and I don't think that was wrong because you're kind of hyping up the whole like ambiguously gay thing, even though that's not how he was at all. Yeah. Uh, they're kind of hyping that up, and that was uh, a promotion that's pr- predominantly southern. Like running that, it's like yeah, I can see where that's like easy heat for a guy who's still young and inexperienced. But I actually, I actually do think that once he like they turned to face, like that's when he got like a lot better, both in terms of his like character and in the ring he actually started improving a lot yeah. too. And he seems to be having fun with it. I think that makes like a big difference. Mm. It, um, I think that it benefits, or we kind of lose out from the not to sound snooty but kind of the cultural zeitgeist of the time that that little richard was kind of having a resurgence through here you know that uh, like he was on the king ralph soundtrack and stuff like that so there was stuff people enjoyed about little richard's act and here is mark marrow doing that kind of act and you know being over the top and kind of kind of funny and having some fun with it and I th- it, it kind of leads me to this idea that Mark Marrow was the kind of guy that did better with a gimmick that had a character he would play into as opposed to being more like himself because he could he could kind of cut loose. It's not me and go with it as mm-hmm. opposed to the wild man and the, the, the TKO era Mark Marrow. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and yeah. I, I think I think this gimmick works better because it's WCW. So. Like, if this was WWF at the time, I think it would be, like, way more cartoony. 
Oh, oh, hands down. Certainly, like, in the 90s when he was wrestling. Yeah. Uh, before the late 90s, before, like, the Attitude Era came and everything like that. But, uh, yeah, like, if this was, like, even just a few years ago, it would be way more cartoony. Yeah. And it's you funny really because... Upset, you really upset me, Jim Ross. I should have <laughs> been the MC here. It's funny because even saying yes it would have been that way i'm not sure how we how you could have made that gimmick more cartoony to be honest with you but he just did a really good job with it so you know he's he's playing along to it and he's not overshadowing anybody you know when someone gets their time to to shine he steps back and lets them do their thing and then whenever they kind of retreat back he steps up and you know starts mugging for the camera again yeah, he's really he's really not a Jimmy Garvin about it. <laughs> so up next we have um it's Terry Taylor. Well, I guess he's still the Taylor Made Man versus yeah. Ron Simmons. And I have to say Ron Simmons' tights are just a total atrocity in this <laughs> match. It looks like Mountain Dew threw up all over him. It is very much that early 90s bright neon motif going on. Yeah, like Exorcist puke green. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is kind of this is, this is pretty much um pretty much just a, an extended ron simmons beats terry taylor up he gets some heat by cheating here and there and then he gets destroyed the end um it's not it's nothing special or remarkable it's it's not bad either it's kind of just fine um, it's really to put Ron Simmons over and Terry Taylor does his job. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Simmons comes out of this looking great. Taylor doesn't overshadow him. Was, was Simmons using the power slam as a finish at the time or was Simmons thing just kind of, he could finish you with about any big movie hit. He was doing the sidewalk slam. I mean, as he called it, I think it was just like a spine buster. Okay. It looked, it looked visually, it looked just like a spine buster. Gotcha. Yeah. I, to me, it was a spine buster, but that yeah. would explain why Booker was calling that move he did a sidewalk slam too. Yeah. So I will say the punches in this match like <laughs> looked really good. I kind of um, I had a great I like this match that great uh, only because like as I've shared now in several episodes of the most of the show recently, I was like I actually am like all in on Ron Simmons. I'm like again, I feel like they they everyone like whiffed on him. Like they could have had like a ma like a major major baby face, and I know he won the title, so it's like it's it's ca- <clears throat> just a caveat there because he did he did he was like pushed to like the world title, but I feel <laughs> like he he could have done even more. He was like the second most. I mean, I would say Sting was more over, and the Steiners might have been, but he was probably neck and neck with the Steiners for how over he was on the show. Yeah, he was he was <laughs> very over. So this match, it's like I would. I kind of want him to have like a more high-profile match. But yeah. if you're not going to do that, I mean, if you're going to have him on the show just because he's like over and he's like a star and you're kind of grooming him, um, and and this again, this is the beginning of the Will the Bill Watts era, so it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's become like a trope. It's like okay, like racist Bill Watts, uh, and yet here he is pushing another black talent to like. Yeah. But I yeah. feel like I feel like anyone coming in like Bill Watts would have and like sat down and watched a couple shows just to get a feel would have been like. Why isn't that guy the world champion? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. He at least understood. It's like I gotta push this guy, like, like majorly push this guy. And not mm-hmm. that, not that 
because we've gone back to like late 91 now into mid 92 it's not as if like the brass in wcw wasn't seeing something with simmons because he was over he was kind of getting pushed reasonably well mm-hmm. i don't know i just i'm at that point where it's like i think that he should have been more than just like a, a seven minute match with terry taylor who was kind of like on his way out of the promotion yeah uh i don't know how the equivalent it'd be almost like you have like a they have a less pay-per-views obviously but it's like if you have like a, a an aew pay-per-view and it's like uh i don't know you have hangman page is obviously like a big star former champion and you have him like working a match against like the butcher or the blade and it's like they're good i like those guys like a mm-hmm. lot it's, but it's also like, what are you doing with them? It's like, kind of nothing. how it's kind of how I book though. Like this is how I would book Simmons, and this is how I book like guys that are top level stars, but that are kind of in between programs or like are waiting for a couple things to play out. Like they, I super protect them more than guys in programs. And like I would totally if I had like a number two or three baby face that would, kind of didn't have a program at the time, I would totally throw them on like a pay per view second from the bottom. Like just tearing some bid Carter a new asshole because because it's like, well, OK, well, I don't have anything for him to do, but I want him on the pay-per-view because he should be on the pay-per-view. So let's just give him a let's give him a good performance and a win, because then, you know, the people paying the show get a see, oh, yeah, this guy's, you know, good enough to get a win on the big shows. Yeah. And it keeps keeps him in everybody's uh, standard memory and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and it it builds the illusion of momentum. Like that's kind of why I I talked about that last week. Like when I fantasy book, and like someone in Simmons' position that I don't necessarily have in an angle gets more protected than guys in like the angles because I'm keeping them strong for when they, it's their their time to go for a title or get a program because then they have momentum. Mhm. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Hey, you know, you you don't. They're in there. They're in the mix for the main title. You've got to have some back and forth. But um, you know, you don't want someone looking looking weak while you're you're trying to keep them warm for later. Yeah. So. It's not like I don't. It's it's kind of the opposite of what the WWE does, where if they're not doing anything with a guy, they just bury the shit out of them and then when they need like new guys everyone's cold and then they don't know what to do yeah yeah kind of like the drew um the drew mcintyre issue from last year when they gave him the title shot against roman Mm -hmm. where it's like they tried to heat him up for that when he was ice cold in the summer yeah and you have to do so much work to try and and you know, get someone back to where they were after you've been farting around so much. It's it, It'd just be so much easier to keep someone warm than it would be to try and rebuild them so fast. Yeah, because it's like, especially it's a, it's a it's a fixed sport, so it's like, okay, well they're gonna do this program, but I need I need a challenger for them in six months. So hey, I have this guy. Like I should start. He should start racking up wins now. Yeah. Because then when he's ready to go for the title, he has six months of, like, just winning, winning, winning. Right. And I don't know why they don't do that. AEW can be bad about that, too, honestly. They're a little better about protecting their guys, but sometimes, like, 
those guys kind of drift off into limbo and they're not on dynamite much. And it's like, Oh, they're challenging for the title, but they've barely been on dynamite for the last four months. I mean, they haven't been like losing or anything, so they're not, they're not getting like jobbed out, but they're out also sight, not staying as mind. warm. Yeah. They're not staying as warm as they could. So, yeah. So up next we have, um, so this is Marcus Alexander Bagwell versus Greg Valentine. And, um, this was shockingly a good match. This was a, as I sometimes say about matches, this is like ponderously good. Because you're thinking going into this, just like, oh yeah, it's just like a, a match that really should be like a, a WCW Saturday Night match yeah. that they're Green, just throwing on the Green pay-per-view. Green is fuck Bagwell. Uh, Valentine's yeah. like a shade of washed at this point. And yeah. it's not. No, no, Valentine. To me, and I said this to you guys uh, in a chat, like I, Valentine to me is like I'm coming out here to prove that I deserve to have the paycheck every week. <laughs> he went in there, and he was good in this match. Mm-hmm. That's what I told. That's why I said like afterwards is like I feel like someone told him like five minutes before he was going out there that he was washed, and this was like a giant fuck you to everyone in management. <laughs> but like even like. So when he does like bagwell stuff, like he goes all out to the point where you could see he was like blowing up during bagwell sequences, and then he would it was really smart what he was doing. So he would go all out and he would kinda like blow up a little bit during bagwell sequences, then he would go on offense and slow it way, way, way down so he could get his breath and kinda mm-hmm. get himself ready for like the next flurry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he he like bumped really well. Um, he made me, I, I think he actually gave Bagwell more than he needed to. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's pretty secure in who he is and what he's doing. So, <clears throat> you know, it doesn't really hurt him to give Bagwell a lot. And in doing that, it made Bagwell look a lot better. You know, he was he was straight hanging in there right until the very end. Yep. Because essentially what the story of the match is, is it's the it's the is the probably a little past his prime veteran trying to keep the young pup down and like doing his stuff. And then the young pup getting loose and like running. Yeah. Just running all over him. Yeah. And this was, I mean, if I was to, if I was to snowflake this, I would probably give this three stars. Like it's, it's perplexingly good and probably Mm. arguably the best match Bagwell's ever been in. It's, it is good. Uh, it's again, it's ponderously good. Like you weren't expecting this sort of thing. I certainly wasn't. And then when they had it, it's like, wow. Yeah. Cause you kind of watch I would it. I agree. It's probably like around three stars. You kind of watch it and your eyebrow kind of slowly starts going up in the air and mm. a little more and a little more. Cause you're like, cause I, cause I was like three minutes in. I'm like, wait a minute. Is this, is this good? <laughs> and then I'm watching, I'm watching I, like, oh my God, this is like actually good. I watched it. Uh, I, I watched like the show in like a couple days worth of time. Mm-hmm. I watched this and I stopped there for the evening and I watched it. And I'm like, damn, is that a good match or not? Like, wow. and then I had to come back the next day and continue watching the show. And I'm like, you know what? I think I'll watch that Bagwell Valentine match again. No, it was, it's, it's true. It's like, it's actually a pretty good match. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I, I, cause Matt said like that, that match is good. And I'm like, well, like, okay. And I'm like, oh, no, that, that was a good fucking match. So the thing that I I got the biggest kick out of 
It's something Brad sent me after he watched it. Is he goes, isn't this the kind of thing that you would want like an indie vet to do for younger guys? <laughs> is even if they're going over, you know, let the dude shine, let him get some bill, let him look good out of this, instead of, you know, it's like now we're just going to work the arm. It's like yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Valentine is showing everybody it's like if you're going to be the old vet, this is how you need to do it. Show how good you are by lifting both of you up. Yeah, that's it. well, I think I, I think what I said is every indie vet should be forced to watch this over and over until they <laughs> they get the point. Because well, like, cause like you said, though, because Valentine made Valentine made himself look good by making Bagwell look good. Yeah. It, it, it just elevated both of them. So that but, was the uh, definitely the way to go. I would actually say if you can find this on YouTube, like most this entire show is worth watching. But just watch that if you want to see like a vet totally carry a really green guy to something good. And that's not to say that Bagwell didn't hold his end up of it. Um, he did actually, you know, he did his stuff well. It's just that Valentine strung the pieces together excellently. And like the timing, like where it's really good is Greg knows when to like do his stuff and to get the crowd primed up for that next like comeback from Bagwell. Also, Bagwell's selling of the leg was really good because um, there's lots of times where guys will be selling a leg and then they'll go to do something. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be selling the leg. But I mean, Bagwell stayed on it the whole time um you know they go off they do the leapfrog and bagwell doesn't just like land and then like stumble he just like crumbles to the mat yeah i also liked how um valentine like the way valentine would hook up with him and stuff after a bit was very like he got real calculated and cautious with it like uh i need to be careful yeah yeah it just yeah he, he recognized like this this could this kid could catch me yeah, like oh, I'm gonna be a little careful here. Like, there's a lot. There's a lot Valentine was doing in like his facial ex- expressions mm-hmm. that um really helped us. And I I, oh, yeah. I I I was shocked too because like I said I thought I thought Valentine was washed at this point in his career, and he obviously had something in the tank for this at least. Yeah. You get a KG vet who is smart about what they're doing, and it can go a long way without it. You know. Running yourself ragged. Yeah, cause, well, I mean, there were a couple points like they they there was a point where he's in the corner and he was just sucking wind, but like then he went on offense and he just like let himself, you know, get his air back. Yeah. Like he was real smart about about that stuff. Yep. So, Absolutely. So, um, so that is the end of what we will say the. The, the prelude. Yeah, the good stuff. Now we're gonna get into the great stuff. That's a fair way to put it because because this show is the show is all like insanely good to the end. Yeah, the the, the pedal goes all the way to the floor from here forward. Yeah. <clears throat> Matt, would you like to set up the next one? So the next one, uh, I kind of uh, I kind of am not sure why this one wasn't just the main event. But this one is the match that, again, like I. I had seen wrestling, like, in the sense that I had probably seen, like, a, an old, like, Saturday Night's Made Event, because it's, like, it would be on, like, regular network 
TV at actual like prime time hours. So I probably saw like one or two of those, but I wasn't really like interesting. I, I was probably too young for it. I didn't really understand it. But this came for some reason. I started. I watched like WCW. I started watching WCW, and I think I should because it came on like one. It came on like TV. WCW did at least, but other shows came on like in syndication in my local area. Uh, it's basically like what is now like the CW. You know, before they used to have like EPN, uh, the WB stuff like that. It was, it's network but also basically almost like local yeah so so if you if you're wondering and you're you're way younger so the way wcw worked is there was the tvs sphere of sphere of shows that was saturday night or dash world championship wrestling that was main event and then they had power hour for a number of time and then syndication you had pro and worldwide yeah, I think. And so then mm-hmm. um, for WWE, superstars and wrestling challenge were in there. So typically, if you had WWF in your market, you had you at least had superstars. You never just had mm-hmm. wrestling challenge because that was the B show, but usually had both. And then you either had worldwide or pro worldwide, I think, was more common, though, mm-hmm. than um, pro was. Anyway. Uh, I think maybe on WCW Saturday night, like after this pay-per-view, they either – I don't know that they aired like the whole – they aired like clips of it. But the Sting versus Cactus Jack Falls kind of anywhere match, they showed clips of it. And that – this is the match. This is the match that actually got me hooked on wrestling. Uh, I still hooked, you know, 30 years later. Yeah. The match because it is – such a goddamn chaotic brawl. Like when I watched it, this is a match that is now like almost 31 years old. Uh, Big Foley, Cactus Jack is long retired. If you, once you watch this match, it's like it's not surprised. Like the shit that he, the bumps that he would take. Sting is somehow still wrestling, even yeah. though this this is probably like the last year of his Sting's, in-ring career. Sting Sting is a genetic freak. He is a genetic freak. Because yeah. remember, but, remember, like he had a severe knee injury in like '90 that slowed him down, and he was still mm-hmm. like insane. Uh, and the thing about this match also, this match is just this like it's absolute chaos. Like watching it again, like now as an adult, like 30 years after the fact. I'm like kind of shocked at how like one how shocked how good this match was and how like violent and crazy it was to the point where I'm like if you had take if you took this match and you did it move for move just replace the people with different people like if you like they just hang me and Page and, and John uh, Moxley John Moxley just had a, a Texas Death Match if you replaced that if you had those two guys because they're modern. You had them do this match move for move. Like you don't even mention it's like, oh, we're replicating that match. You just do this match move for move. People would still come out of it, including Dave Meltzer would still come out of it being like, oh, it's a really good match. Mm-hmm. It's like, and it would be because this match back then was good. And it's like 31 years later, it still holds up and it's still crazy. Well, you know, what, what I really liked, my, my favorite part of the match, because Sting makes Cactus Jack look like an absolute, like, unstoppable monster in this. Mm hmm. But there's mm. a point towards the end where Sting is just laying into him with this chair. 
and Cactus Jack won't mm. get down. And Sting finally just says, I've had enough, and just smacks him in the knee with the chair to get him to finally, like, go mm-hmm. down. Yeah. It's it's fascinating to watch this because you have Sting doing Sting things, as he usually does. But then in doing so, you have you have Cactus being not only the guy that keeps getting up from stuff, but he is doing his, you know, his crazy spots. He does the, the run and flip over the guardrail thing. And he does the, Oh my God, sunset flip from the apron to the floor thing. He did his elbow drop to the floor. He did his, he did his elbow to the floor. You know, he's doing this, but he's doing like all of it. And it's strung together to be offense together Instead, like he does one here or there, like he seemed to do in a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. And it it works really, really well. And I like that. I liked because we're used to like the modern baby face. I like that Sting was not a bitch in this match. No. Absolutely not. Well, you know what was really badass? He went. Mm -hmm. I was going to say what was really badass is like their stare down, like when Sting comes out. Oh yeah, and then they just uh, yeah. start going at it, and it's like, oh yeah, like this is where, and then they just like never stop. Oh yeah, it's like it's like goes from zero to one hundred, and it never lets up. They never take their their foot off the gas. It, it was, it's fascinating to see that kind of uh, that kind of thing going, wherein you had not seen a lot of that sort of stuff. You know, you'd seen Sting matches like that prior, but in a lot of Cactus matches, he's He's not going as quickly. He's not going as full tilt. And it makes me suspect that that had to do a lot with the people he was working with. Um, You know, that they they couldn't keep up the pace that, oddly enough, he could. You know, lots of people look at Foley over the course of his career and think he's, oh, you know, that, that one fat dude or something. It's like, no, dude could go. He just didn't look like everybody else. All right. Yeah. Um, Another thing that I liked about this, at one point, talking about crazy Cactus Jack uh, spots, you guys pointed this out uh, when we were chatting offline, and I noticed it. It's like, at one point, Sting does a belly-to-back suplex on Cactus Jack on the outside cement. Mm -hmm. It's, And he almost, like, bangs his head on the, the guard. Yeah. Like Sting goes That's to whip like him to the guardrail. Insanely, looks so painful. Yeah, yeah, and and Cactus isn't putting his hands up or anything. He's just eating them, and I'm like, dude, like everything you see Mick Foley do over the course of his career, and I'm still looking at this, going, dude, yeah, you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, oh man, it's this is just this is just crazy. Mm-hmm. It, it's very crazy, and. Uh, I don't know. It's just it is like a wild brawl. It's like it this would hold up again today. Uh, it's just it's it's uh, it's a fan. Again, back in the day, like I saw like clips of it and it's what got me into wrestling. But seeing the whole thing now as an adult, it's like this is I would dare to say this is one of the best matches for WCW. Matt, pardon me just 90s. a second. Yeah, keep going. Uh, it's uh, I would say it's one of the best matches of the uh, WCW for the 90s. 
Like it's a solid match. It's it's such a damn good match. It's really really good. Uh, one thing also, this is like a, a personal <laughs> favorite thing that I like about Sting. He did like at the very end of the match. Is the thing I loved. One of the things I loved about Sting when he was doing his offense, he would always do like the punch, and then he'd do like a back fist chop, and he would do it in a way that it just looked like solid. And he would alternate between like punch, back fist, punch, chop, or chop. Like punch. He'd do that rapidly. It's like a Stingism that he would do throughout his career. He's he just starts. Yeah, that's to something jack. unique. That's something really unique to him. Yeah, and he's just rocking Cactus Jack with those. Yeah, I, I I would have to really like. For me, I think this would be in like this would not be in like the elite tier of WCW matches, but I think it'd be in that next tier, right under like those elite tier matches. Mm-hmm. Like like I think if I was doing like. It'd probably be top twenty-five, I'm guessing. I'd really I mean, have I to. Pers- I'd really have to look. Cause I mean, to me, like the best WCW matches off the top of my head for the the '90s is um, obviously War Games '92, Eddie and um, Rey Mysterio, mm-hmm. and now I'm blanking on the other ones. Um, that Steiner's versus Luger and Sting match. Um, that Flair Steamboat match isn't like that's that's not like elite level, I don't think. But yeah, this would be this would be pretty high up there, I think. Well, I obviously have a <laughs> a personal preference for this match, but I think it's great. I, I think it's really fantastic. I think the I think the next match, which we'll we'll just kind of slide into, would also be up there with this match. But this is the. 30-minute Iron Man match between um, Ricky Steamboat and Rick Rude. So if, you, if you've watched, like, Iron Man matches and, like, you know, you're thinking, like, oh, the tropes and blah, blah, blah. Like, this is actually before those tropes really kind of cemented. So this is very different from most Iron Man matches that I think I've seen. It's... Yes, you're right. This was before like the tropes. Um, the tropes I feel are largely have been largely created by like the WWE. Yeah, and everyone followed uh, suit because everyone like followed WWE's lead for like '97 through 2010. Look, I don't mind when it's like Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels, and maybe they go like an hour. And it's paced where it's like they don't in a falls during the match. And then it's like, okay, it's sudden death. Like you're going to have like, they're going to go for like a fall. Like I, I actually, I think that that used that one time with two guys who were presented as like equals and, and rivals like that kind of made sense to me, but they've used that. They, that then became a trope because they would then use that like a lot of times where it's like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to go all the way to the, it's like, no, 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 no. Like I understand it being like an, a 60 minute Ironman match, or in this case it was 30, but it's 60 minute Ironman. I understand. Kick to 60 minutes. Yeah. Well, I remember they did balls. that. Um, should, everything should not be like, hmm? remember they did that stupid 
a couple years ago. We, we were still doing the podcast at the time, and I think I complained about the time. But remember they did that stupid Seth Rollins versus Dolph Ziggler 30-man Iron Man match, like right after they had literally gone like 30-plus minutes in a match or something, or they'd gone like 27 minutes in just like a straight-up singles match. It was so stupid. Yeah. But this is this is cool. So Rude kind of uh, gets up this early. This was a really. Mm-hmm. Rude gets up early. Um, he, and so they kind of they kind of go there. He comes off top rope, costs himself a fall, which comes back to haunt him as the match progresses. Yes. That's one of the things I liked about this. Uh, I felt like the 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 booking for this Iron Man match was actually really really tight, and I don't. I actually personally didn't really like the whole, like, you get DQ'd if you come off the top rope thing that Watts did. I never liked that. Like, no. I didn't like it back in the day. His it reasoning for it like is saying, like, sound. There was, there was actually, uh, mm-hmm. like his yeah, reason. I understand that there was actually, like, yeah. a legitimate reason that he was doing it. And it did make kind of logical sense, like, what he was actually going for. But I also think, like, as fans... It's like, but I want guys coming off the top rope. I think it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, it, it feels like handcuffs watching the show. Yeah, but uh, I did think in this case it made a lot of sense because you mentioned this too, Brad. Like this, this is Rick Rude kind of screwed himself with doing that because he did come off the, the top rope to attack a steamboat and. The, the implication I got is that he knew that that would DQ him, but it's just it's one of those things where it's like you are doing something that you know will cause you like a DQ, but you're doing it to get an advantage. Well, Rude, yeah. Rude, um, Rude cost himself. And I himself, have seen that again. Like there's, there's. Rude cost himself a couple of times, so he cost himself doing that. But I think I think his mathematics there was, well, I'll still be up two to one, and doing something off the top rope will do more damage. But there's also a point before that when he got his second pin where Steve-O was in pretty bad shape. And if he just would have jumped on him for a second pin, like he probably would have been safe. But he also screws himself at the end when he won't let go of the sleeper and gets himself pinned in the last minute. And then he suddenly. He's suddenly down one. Yeah. Yeah. Just from the overall perspective. Uh, and I don't know if you guys have said this yet or not, but this is one of, I think, the the two best Iron Man matches I've ever seen. And it is it you know, it takes advantage of the gimmick through the whole thing. Yet the ending sequence, Rude has five pinfall attempts in thirty seconds. Yes. It's it's great and again yeah the booking is like fantastic because Mm -hmm. at the very end there steamboat goes up he goes up one which that's where to me it's like well all right like that whole like just dq off the top rope thing is really going to catch up to rude did they establish even did they establish that rude coming off the top was messing with his uh messing with his uh his ribs that steamboat had been working on I couldn't remember. Uh, maybe. I don't think he grabbed him after that. Okay. I know that it, it, it came a bigger and bigger thing as they went to the point where, like, 
Rude goes to do his hip swivel, and then like he can't even do that because of the rib pain, which that's just a great little bit of selling. That's well, like a that's standing up and going, "Hey, in case you haven't got it yet." <laughs> well, and it's smart. It's smart for Steamboat to attack that because you're neutralizing his finisher because he needs like that. He needs those like muscles to do that move. Mm-hmm. to overpower you so it's it's really smart what steamboat was doing like targeting that because because yeah. even like if you would attack his back like he doesn't need that he needs his like he needs his arms he needs his shoulders he needs like he needs like those i don't know what you call the muscles on your side but he's like that that those abdominal muscles like his back like upper back and he needs like his ribs to all be fine yeah mm-hmm. like if his legs were out then that's not a big deal but yeah, he's 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 got to have his core and his arms to yeah. to do it the way that that Rude would do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I the the biggest thing I had forgotten about this match because I've watched it a couple of times, and the first time I watched it was as more of a neophyte wrestling fan, and I did. My uncultured opinion was I didn't enjoy it then because I was like, well, they, they take too long. But now I look at it and I appreciate it. And I'm like, wow, I was a putz. Um, it's very subtle. Like, I, I think if I watched this as a newer fan, I would not like it because even before this podcast, I think I would like it less because there's there's a lot of nuance and subtle flavor they, they throw in there. Yeah, there's and little I, pieces. And I actually think I actually think sequentially watching these pay-per-views and clashes has, has helped to kind of give you background and context and made it yeah. like the stakes feel a little more because we've seen them wrestle like in a cage. They wrestled for the U S title once. Now they're having a gimmick match. Right. Mm-hmm. I'll admit I had kind of thought that the, um, this was for the title. And it wasn't. And so I had this moment of like, no, wait a minute. Where's the, oh. I, I did. I okay. Did, well, I, I knew Steamboat never had the U.S. title in this era and that like Rude had it forever. So I'm like, oh, the title must not be on the line. Yeah. But it was a great match. Just fantastic. And, you know, it, it showed, it showed how good Rude was and it showed Steamboat is not only scrappy but also cagey and yeah. very capable um and, and rude's like the panic rude has when he when he fucks up and gets pinned with like 45 seconds left and he's just desperately like trying to no to get no, anything. no no yeah and then like the mat what i also like that they did though so the match ends but he doesn't attack steamboat like steamboat just rolls out of the ring and rude just has this like look of utter like disappointment and kind of shell shock mm. Yeah. Like, is he standing in the ring? He, he, yeah, he's. I kind of took it as he's standing there cursing himself, going, "You knew better. You knew better. You knew yeah. better." He's he's sitting yeah. there replaying all the things he did wrong. Yeah. It's just great storytelling. His um, I, I do say though, his um, because he kind of his his airbrushing had, I guess, what you would call some nude sections. So sometimes you're like, is his ass out? Like, oh, this is trunks. <laughs> What were you going to say, Matt? I, Rude was obviously like, I, I would say he was pretty good when he was in the WWF. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's really, it's safe to say like his, his Rude's like WCW early nineties run 
really kind of emphasize how good of a worker he became. And it's sad that he got injured, obviously, and had to retire at least. That was, he was training for like an in-ring return. Yeah, when he died. Heard, but he he yeah, was really close he, because his... he started doing stuff right before he died. Like he he was getting involved in matches and he was helping Henning like beat guys up and stuff, which he hadn't done like the year mm-hmm. prior. Yeah. Yeah. He he was really good. Like he this match is a, really a testament. Like he, if you're like a just I mean, Steamboat's one of the best of all time. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. all on Steamboat. Like oh uh, another thing I remember like I love how at the very beginning like Jesse is like apoplectic because uh sting's uh sorry sting steamboat's kid is in the ring yeah and so he couldn't he got this kid in the ring like so rude couldn't actually attack him yeah and then he really attacked uh, i love that <laughs> yeah <laughs> jesse being like apoplectic about stuff <laughs> to the heel you know S- yeah jesse was very um he was actually really down the middle for this match i was kind of surprised i think he, he was... got i think he got into what they were doing and it yeah. he kind of forgot his character he was expressing a lot of appreciation for what he was watching and um they they everybody involved in this match you know the wrestlers the announcers the ref the crowd everybody just does such a great job there's a point i don't remember what match it was but there was a point where jesse describes something he's like yeah that makes me glad i don't do this anymore uh, that might have been that might have been this match actually. I think it was. I, I can't swear to it, but it it was either the superplex, or it might have been when Steamboat did that um, that elevated rib buster on Rude. Yeah, I think it was the rib buster actually. Okay. Because I think he was talking yeah. about how like oh yeah that you know does this this and this it makes me glad I don't do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, well, and I think Jim one. Ross was like, I think it makes me glad I never did this. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He did. See, this is this is an Iron Man match done right where you're trading off falls and stuff. It's this and the the MJF Danielson for me are the top. Like that's this is the gold standard of Iron Man matches, and I'm I might even like MJF Danielson more. But this is so good. I haven't watched that one yet. I need to. It's really really good. All right, that takes us into our next one. This is that, um, the Dangerous Alliance of Steve Austin, Arn Anderson, and Bobby Eaton versus um, Dustin Rhodes, Barry Windham, and oh shit, I'm blanking on the last Nikita Koloff. Nikita Koloff. Also featuring the special guest referee, Ole Anderson, going through this whole match looking like you know, a good steak and a blowjog wouldn't make him happy. <laughs> oh, he looked miserable as fuck. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't a bad ref, though. It wasn't like that no. time we watched him. The special referee. They said that he was he was um, he was being the special referee because he would be tough enough to keep order in the middle of this. Yeah. I think it wasn't mm. like. um. Oh, who was that idiot that did the Harley Flair? Cage oh, match? I don't know. Oh, I'm going to hate myself for this, too, because he was an NWA champion. Oh, I don't know. Because he remember, he like would not he would not stop. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gene Kaniski. Oh, yeah. Gene Kaniski. Like he can he can screw off for that. Oh, he he was terrible. terrible Yeah. 
He was like, no, you can't. You can't use the cage. Like, they're in a cage match, dumbass. Yeah. Yeah. What do you expect him to do? Yeah. But uh, Ole did a very good job through this whole thing. And uh, Brad, I know you've probably heard this. They Back in the day, whenever they would do impressions of Ole Anderson on a lapsed fan podcast. Oh, I don't know if I've you heard remember? them do the, the Ole one. Oh really? You never heard those? Yeah. It, it's really funny. Like it, he would also be like, just talking about how like, because it's based on like a, I got like an interview that he did once. Someone was asking because I guess back in the day he had a, he had conversations where he had talked about like uh, Vince and Linda McMahon, and he was like, oh those they're the shits. I hate them. Those guys fucking suck. And it's like. <laughs> Just only being, only being only like just a horrible curmudgeon, like not liking anything or anyone. Yeah. Uh, so it's basically that. There was um, I they, used to hang out on the wrestling classics forum before I got tired of it. Um, and there was a guy whose line there was he said, "You gotta understand, Oli's Oli. Orgasms don't make Oli Anderson happy." And you know what? From from what I've seen ever since then, I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't hang out on any wrestling like stuff anymore because I've decided I hate all online fans after the last like two years. Honestly, from uh, like when I went to go see Dynamite, I had a fantastic time. The show was great. The the fans were doing their damnedest to ruin it, though. And I was just like, God, shut up. So, yeah, yeah they were it. cool at the show I went to. That's really weird. Oh, my God. I had people behind me trying to take the piss out of everything. I had a guy that was a few rows over who was just all CM Punk all the time during stuff that didn't have a damn thing to do with it. It was just I had a drunk guy who was pacing back and forth, screaming about Hangman Page and the Acclaimed. And then he got mad that he didn't see the Acclaimed, so he stormed out, and the Acclaimed came out uh, post-show to do their bit. You was know, that it was your, just like, were you the show where the, um, Sean Ross Sapp was like um, – there's this guy in the front row that hates everyone, and I don't remember who it was, except he fucking loves this one guy. He obviously, like, he even said he wants to have sex with him. Yes. Who was that that he was so into? Uh, I I don't remember. Oh, it was Hook. It was, it was Hook. Yeah, that's, that's, I couldn't hear him from where I was, but uh, yeah, it was that show. You know, that shocks me. I would have thought, I would have thought Columbus would have provided a smarkier crowd than, um, in Lexington. Yeah, because we we used to get ECW back in the day. I would say that you you've got fans who are. We had lots of people who were good fans and they were there and having a great like. I was sitting in this row. Oh, that's and the true. The folks because... next to me came up and had a great time. And then on the other side of them, there were two guys who were either late teenagers or early um, early twenties. And they they had some disability like one of them had um, I think he had like a I think he had a sign that said something like fibromyalgia is all elite or something like that. And they're sitting there and they're all hyped up for it. And they kind of look over like, sorry, man, we're just excited. I was like, dude, the point to be here is have a good time. Don't worry about it. And so there were lots of people who were having a great time. But then there were some just dickheads. Why even go to be like that? Why even pay to go to be like that? There were two there were people two rows behind me who were just like, oh, look at them. And they're hugging. It's like, are you going to kiss next? I'm just like, oh, my God, shut up the entire show. 
thankfully they shut up during the there was they they started doing that during the um the Jay Lethal uh Jay Briscoe match or Mark Briscoe match and I turned around and looked at him and said this is not the time for that shit because um, I was just like no 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 not during this you did the whole rest of the show you can be quiet for a while. Fun fact, but, uh, Mark Briscoe challenged uh, Joe for the ROH TV title on the TV last week. Cool. And they're having the Reach for the Sky ladder match for the tag titles. Oh, that's cool. The, 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 uh, side note, the ROH TV has been really strong so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about uh, signing up for that. The Athena versus would... Willow-Nightingale mm-hmm. match was strong. Like, Willow, Willow might be one of the best babyface acts in wrestling right now. Yeah, I'm 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 with it. Um, absolutely. So do to you get, get a back over it, free trial with that, Matt, or do you have to go straight into the ten dollars? Do you know? I don't know. Um, but if I if I I'm I'm trying to work through like a lot of stuff already. Uh, but so I mean I'd sign up for it like right now. But if I did sign up for it, I would probably just buy like a annual subscription. It's because I think it's like a hundred bucks if you do sign up yeah. for the year. Versus like obviously like ten dollars a month like one twenty so you're saving yourself a, a few bucks but I think hundred a hundred is like reasonable to me especially if you get all the old content and I mean like all the old like Ring of Honor shows dating back like twenty years like, they have they have a lot totally in there I think they're missing some here and there but I, I think they'll get those those on yeah. but so, like um I hope they get the TV down to like ninety minutes though because two hours is a lot. Yeah, it it's it can be kind of hard to keep up with. Cause, yeah, because you only have so much time as like an adult. Yeah. So um, just kind of pulling us back over to main topic. Uh, this is a six-man match with six guys who do a damn good job the entire time. Um, Anderson and Eaton are and Wyndham – you know, they're old hands. They're great. Dustin is fantastic in this. Oh, my God. Even this early on in his career, he is so smooth and, oddly enough, natural. Nikita does a great job. Austin does a great job. Like, this is just excellent the whole way around. I, I like yeah. the ending. Like, I think some people might have been pissed off by the DQ, but if you look at it in kayfabe, like, you could say, well, Arn was stupid. And it's like, well, no, um... Austin was pinned. Who gives a shit if they get DQ'd? They're gonna lose anyway. He's got to do something. Yeah, he went for a hail mary on yeah. it. It didn't pay off. Like so. maybe they don't see it and he gets away with it. But I mean, like if you're upset by that, like they were gonna lose anyway. Like I might as well just. Yeah, they were beat on. They were they were beat, and he's either they're beat on two fronts or he gets them out. And yeah. here's the thing: there's not a whole lot you can say in this because with this collection of guys, especially after the war games they had. What is there you can say? They just do a damn good job doing stuff you've seen them do. And we've seen we've seen combos of like this. Yeah. Like three or four times now, and it's always good. The only dangerous alliance person we did not see on here was Zabisco. I'm sure he got thrown out after War Games. You think so? Oh, I'm pretty sure they're pissed at him. Hmm. Okay, yeah, I follow. I follow. Because remember they were talking about, about he was, the finish for a minute. Yeah, and he was already kind of on the outs, so I bet they turned on him. I was honestly kind of confused why 
because Anderson and Zabisco as the enforcers were a great tag team. And they're like, no, we're going to split off Zabisco and call him the crusher now. And it's like, why would you? And then it's like, but we're putting Anderson with Bobby Eaton. And I'm like, okay, I get it. But still, <laughs> well, I think, I think because then when you want to break it up, like then Zabisco is the guy you can job and have screw up and yeah. starts to tear it apart because he's the, he's the weak link and they throw him out and then it kind of starts. Cause once you throw the weak link out, then it kind of all falls apart because you've upset the balance. Yeah. Cause you should just leave the weak link there. Yeah. You, you need somebody, you, you need to know where the other people are going to target. Yeah. So anyway, um, it's it's just really good. It's 15 and a half minutes that does not feel like 15 and a half minutes. Nope. It just cruises. And then we get the main. Oh, my God. <laughs> so what I like about this is um, Steve Williams and Terry Gordy show intelligence that a lot of wrestlers don't show in matches like this. Because so Williams and Gordy's approach to this match was, we are not doing this Steiner shit. We're just going to keep them on the mat. Yeah. This was not what I thought the match was going to be going in. I thought we were going to see a bomb fest. Yeah, I thought we were going to see a bomb fest like we did uh, at, at at the War Games show. But that's that's not what they did. Um, I mean, it was still hard hitting and everything. No, this was this was so essentially how I would liken this is Williams and Gordy's approach was we're going to keep them on the mat, but if they start getting up, we are strong enough. We are just going to use our strength to get them back down yeah and cheat if we have to by the way it's this is in case i don't know how but in case you ever forgot this match is a fantastic reminder of just how damn good rick steiner's clotheslines are oh yeah yeah. (laughs) those steiner lines god they made me shake in my boots watching it (laughs) oh he's going up against two really big meaty men uh and, and and Terry Gordy and Steve Williams. Yeah. This is actually a perfect booking, though, because this is like the perfect team to throw at the Steiners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's great. Uh, let me look it up, actually, because they... I think after this, maybe... Well, let me look at the timeline-wise. I know they had... They're on the next... They're, they wrestle for the NWA tag titles at Clash that was taped four days before this, mm-hmm. but airs like a couple days after and is the next show we're doing. Huh. Yeah, so uh, that was at a Clash. Which Clash was that? I think 20, right? 20 or 21. Look at the time. And I, I think we've done 18 the... and 19 so far. Uh, hold on. Because this this show was because we because the next show we're doing is like the NWA tag title tournament at the Clash. Okay, because Clash Twenty that was when that they had that tournament there. Uh, oh yes, yeah. This show this was this show was in like uh, July or June, and June. Clash June and Clash Twenty. Oh, wait. Wait, Clash. Uh, is Clash Great American Bash was on the June, July twelfth. Yeah, this is yeah. like this is so this I think this show happened on like June twentieth, and then 
Clash 20 was taped on like June 16th, but airs on like June 22nd. It's really weird what they yeah. did. Yeah. Uh, so at, at that match at, at Clash, they had Gordy and Williams defeating the Steiner brothers. And I remember like I watched that show. Like this, again, I, I was just in wrestling. I watched that. I, I uh-huh. taped this event on videotape. And when I watched that match, I was like stunned. I'm like, how could this other how could this team like be the Steiners? The Steiners are like yeah. the best. It's just like it, they the they they presented Gordy and Williams as just like monsters. Mm-hmm. Just brutalizing people. Like they didn't even have their they got a buy into that match because it was like the quarterfinals. They got like a buy into that match because it heavily implied like I think it was like the Puerto Rican team. It heavily implied like they just like beat the shit out of these guys like in the dressing room. And like they weren't able to compete for the match, they got like a buy into the, like the quarterfinals, specifically because they wanted to wrestle the Steiners. Yeah, they wanted back at them. Yeah, it's um, yeah. Jim Ross and uh, Jesse were on their A game for this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Also, before this, they had the is Jesse um hyped at the teeny weeny bikini part of it which was actually funny because both of them were fairly close for having supposedly itty bitty bikinis uh, eh, I mean they couldn't go I guess they didn't feel like they could go too far with it uh, this one this is the segment for me out, out of the three of those that I felt like landed the least yeah but eh. It had kind of grown. <laughs> I'm tired at that point. I honestly fast forwarded through these. <laughs> oh, I didn't pay attention to all of these. Yeah. yeah. I I was kind of clipping along and then landed I landed in the middle of it. And I'm like, fine, I'll finish this. Well, because so for those listening at home, um, most of us, I think all three of us, have to watch these over a couple of days. And for segments like this, that's like, oh, this is five minutes. I don't have to. Mm-hmm. I don't have to watch. Yeah. 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 It's like okay, clipping. Cl- Usually, what I'll do is I'll clip from an end, the end of a match, to the entrances of the next one. <laughs> it's just like I do not need all the chatter, and I know why it's there, but this is recorded. I don't need the chatter in between. Let's go. Yeah, if it's gonna have like, if it's gonna have angle significance, I'll watch it. But if it's just like, even like hype packages or like recaps, I'll just yeah blaze through yeah. them. I will. Uh... I will say just as an aside, uh, Terry Gordy and Steve Williams had arguably the best, one of the best uh, tag team names of all time, the Miracle Violence Connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's like there really there should be more merchandise of that. Uh, you can get some stuff online. I actually own a Miracle Violence Connection shirt. Wow. Uh, but it's not like. It's not like it's a licensed merchandise. It's just like dudes doing like just a quick design and selling it on a couple of websites like Tee Public or Redbubble. Mm-hmm. But it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that would, would be. Oh, go ahead. I just uh, just sorry sorry to interject. Uh, to me, like the most the aw- most awesome uh, name is uh, tag team name is Holy Demon Army <laughs> or yeah. All Japan. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm. It's it's funny for me because Miracle Violence Connection is a name that I'm like that shouldn't work, but it does, mm. and it does really well. 
but uh but yeah so guys thoughts on the show as a whole um this might be this is probably one of the top shows of the 90s like from a match quality perspective and i would say as far as like the history of this podcast this is probably top five for like complete shows we've watched like it's it is legitimately there's not a bad thing on the show like even the bad match is pretty good the match i would rate probably the least is probably like the simmons taylor match and it was at least just like it wasn't like offensively bad it was just there it was like a two-star nothing match that if it was on tv like you would back in the day you'd be happy you got something yeah and and just pretty much just about everything else is in probably like the three to four and a half range yeah three to four and a half uh and for back in the day for like a show that was only they're only doing like maybe like eight matches a show. Yeah. Like that's uh, absolutely stellar. Yeah. Like percentage of matches that are good to great. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, this, this show is an easy, an easy thumbs up. Easy Mm -hmm. watch Uh, too. Like the three hours flew. Yeah. And as I've like complained about before in recent times, it's like Meltzer, Dave Meltzer will rate like just a random dynamite. Pick a pick a random dynamite and like if it has six matches on the show, like he'll rate four or five of them like four stars and up. It's like okay, it's kind of like well if they're all four stars, like are really that many four stars? I yeah. mean they could be actually good. I'm not saying they aren't because they are, but it's like I feel like you're kind of devaluing or have devalued your star rating well, system. I, I feel like I feel like though, I mean that gets really tough with old matches, but I feel like I feel like if if the quality of work has improved to the point that your average worker can put out like three and a half stars, like on a bad showing, like, like we've talked about that with modern wrestling, that you need the storylines and stuff from your local indie because, you know, selling yourself that you have good wrestling doesn't matter because I could probably go to some barn in some guy's backyard with 20 people there and see a three and a half star match from guys Mm -hmm. I've never heard of. So I think there has to be a point where, if everyone's putting out that quality of work, you need to recontextualize your scale to put those back into like figure out like, so, okay. So let's say four stars, a new standard. Okay. Well that's now a two and a half star match because a yeah. two and a half star match is the, the bog standard like level of good. Mm-hmm. And then work yeah. from there. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Like there's just so many, uh, just so many good, uh, so many good workers now that you have to recalibrate, and well, and not enough people are doing it. It's why it's why we don't do star ratings on this show, and why I don't like them in particular is because if I was star rating stuff like something I watched twenty years ago, like my star ratings for that would be invalid now. Mm-hmm. yeah because i've seen more if i went back and watched it like i'm a savvier fan and i might like it better and i might like it less like it might hold up less so like, like that four star match might be a three star match now or it might be a four and a half star match like right that's why i don't like doing them and sometimes like if i'm in a bad mood that day like i could underrate something or if i'm in like an overly good mood I might overrate sure. it like my favorite comparison um, is for going back and watching really good stuff and appreciating it more. There's a, 
I don't do it, but I, I appreciate it and I enjoy watching it, is that there is a, um, a magic routine. And the guy is, is straight up just doing the cup and ball trick, but it's called a runaround Sioux, so it's set to, in like kind of the 1950s motif. And the more I've gone back and watched it, the more I've understood what he's doing and the more I appreciate it. In the same way that since I had gotten in the ring and done it, the more I go back and watch, the more I appreciate just how good a lot of these guys are. And I think it's something I've learned through the last eight years, but a lot through this podcast is like going back to the old stuff is a lot of guys we talked about being bad in our smarky like work rate days, like going back and watching a lot of stuff now, unless they are like outright bad and incompetent, like almost everyone on these shows is some capable level of good. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. how did they get to the show? Right? Yeah. Cause even like this, like let's take Terry Taylor on this show. Mm hmm. You might watch this and be like, well, Terry Taylor's not that good. Like, well, no, Terry Taylor is a lower-level heel giving you lower-level heel work. Like, he's doing right. a technically competent match, but he's also making sure that he does not overshine the guys higher on the card with him, than him. So he's yeah. kind of being boring on purpose. And, he's, and there. he's being a professional. Yeah. It's And every now and then – and. I have also learned enough to uh, to check myself on things. It's like because earlier today I I, I was thinking and I, I messaged the guys. And I'm like, OK, Taylor, Terry Taylor's good, right? Like I'm just having a memory lapse. Right. And, and Matt and Brown were like, yes, yes, yes. These the answer. Like, OK, OK. I just had a moment um, <laughs> that, that sometimes if it's been a while since you've seen it, you forget how good they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and and like there's things, though, that you I, I'm gonna say, I'm just gonna speak as someone that's never done it before, but I would think that does happen. So like let's say let's say Matt let's say let's say Shad and I worked in the same company, mm-hmm. and let's say we're on the same show, and let's say I am directly in the match before Shad, and let's say we both do I'll just use Reddit favorite. Let's say we both do the top rope fuckinator. <laughs> so like knowing Shad is coming after me, I might be like, well, I'm not gonna do that move this match. Yeah. Like I'm not winning or the guy I'm going against isn't that important. Like I'm not going to do that move to not step on Shad's toes. So then, but say, let's say someone watches that match a couple years down the line. That's in their smarky work rate phase. They're going to say, well, Shad's obviously better than Brad because he did the top rope fuckinator, which was awesome. You don't have the context of, well, no, we both can do that, but I didn't do that because I didn't want to step on your toes. Right. Mm -hmm. It's it. Part of what frustrated me is is on on some of the older shows, everybody doing the figure four. It's like I get it, but on the other hand, holy crap, because that was one of the one of the conversations that I always had before a show is be like, hey, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to piss in your Cheerios, you know, you got what, you know what big spots you're doing, so I don't accidentally like step on them or anything like that, and and then that way, I. I the the probably the biggest thing in wrestling the two biggest things I pride myself on is I always got a reaction I very rarely didn't but I never left somewhere on bad terms so the fact that you know I would be like hey guys just checking you know we were going to be doing this kind of spot that's that's not stepping on your toes right and they're like well you know we're in the semi main we were going to do that and I'm like cool glad I asked and then you know I wouldn't do it and. You know, it's it's because if you do that, then you hurt the rest of the show. That's why I'm I get so annoyed at seeing so many 
Canadian destroyers. It's like in so many cutters. There's there's a there's an AEW criticism for you. Like everybody does not need to do a freaking diamond cutter. Or, um, or I think like even like let's say you're on a show and the match before you just like kills it and the crowd's super into it and you come out and the crowd's obviously tired. I think there's also being a professional being like, eh, let's not kill ourselves and just get the fuck out of here and let them rest and then they can get like let the next guys get them. Or just take it slow. Sorry, excuse me. Take it slow to start, and then we'll start building up. Yeah. And okay, Alex and Alex Angel and I had to do that once. We were it was a three promotion show with two rings, and we were the only match on the card that did not have a title involved. So we're just having this quote unquote grudge match. And the guy, they just had this barn burner of a tag match before us. So we're just kind of starting slow and we're taking it easy, but we're still, we're not like dragging, you know, we're still doing cool, you know, big hits and stuff, but you know, we're not trying to, until we hear this one piss ant little kid, boring. It's like, he's like, all right, let's show him you know, shoot me off. And I shot him off and I came in with the biggest lariat I could swing. And he had this like back rotation corkscrew bump. He would do off of stuff like that. And I come up and I hit that with everything I got. And he does that cell and we got him back, but we built up to it. You know, we, we weren't trying to exhaust them. We let them catch their breath and then we did something cool and we brought them back. Or it's like, um, you know, if you're on that show, just being like, eh, like, Let's just go do comedy and give them something different. Or hey, let's go like go get the track. Let's go get let's go just get shit and let's do a plunder match because they need something different. I wish I honest to God, I wish that I had been brave enough to do more comedy stuff because I I don't know, but I like to think I I probably would have done pretty well with it and it would have been different from about what everybody else was doing. Well- when you're talking about doing like the John Noble thing, like that seems like a precursor to a good comedy match is him doing the Bugs Bunny like Those were just funny spots in the middle of the yeah. match. Um we we did some goofy stuff just because we were like he's like, You wanna do this? And I'm like, Yeah, sure. And John was instinctively new silly some silly spots that would get like we did a crisscross spot. You know, one's hitting the ropes the one way, the one other's hitting the ropes the other way. And we're going back and forth and back and forth. And I just kind of catch the ropes and roll out of the ring. And I sidle over to somebody at ringside. I'm like, give me your water bottle. And they hand it to me. And John just stops the middle ring and collapses. And he looks up from the mat. And he's like, where'd he go? And I, like, you know, toast him with the water bottle. And then hand it back. You know, it was easy. We didn't have to do much and the crowd loved it. And I wish I had been brave enough to do more of that stuff because it was different. It was fun. It folks remembered it and you didn't have to kill yourself doing it. You well, know? I just know like, and Matt, Matt knows what I'm talking about. And we, I've, I've talked about this on the show ad nauseum, but sometimes you go to a show and you're in like hour three and like a guy like does that big, like dive to the outside. And you're just like, I've literally seen five different people do a dive to that exact same spot mm-hmm. tonight. Like, can you guys just do something different? Yeah, that's that's part of why I wish there were fewer dives is because, God, everybody does it. It loses – it's losing its luster. Could we just not, please? You just like, need a- point where you don't care anymore like that's why i think the perfect wrestling show should be two and a half hours like for a live event and and the three ring circus concept holds up mix it up do different stuff 
you know, if, if you, if you're going to have a squash in there, make it, you know, do a feel good thing or make it the big scary man squashes someone. Yeah. Have and, a good tag, man. You know, if you, and, and this is to indie bookers just from someone that goes like, if you're doing a gimmick match, do it at the top of hour three, because that's when, that's when your crowd needs like something different or not semi-main, but right before semi-main. Yeah. If you got a six match show, come back from the intermission with it. Yeah. Uh, so you need to know, you need to know when your crowd needs, needs different. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think we can collectively say that, um, that beach blast 92 is one of the best top to bottom shows we've, we've reviewed. Did you see this um, on VHS around like when you started watching ever Matt or is this like something you saw way later? No, no, I, uh, well, okay. So when I first started watching, which again, as a child, like 92, like I just saw that they aired like clips of it. Uh, I'm pretty sure they aired clips of the sting cactus match. Uh, maybe on like WC, it probably would have been like WCW Saturday night. Probably. So maybe I saw that. Uh, I th- believe I watched the show on VHS, but years later, uh, back when I when I was old enough that I actually could get into tape trading. Okay. Uh, but I I probably saw it like maybe once or twice. Okay. And then. I don't know, for whatever reason, I was probably in like college or something like that. I didn't really like, go back to it because I was busy with doing stuff, and so I didn't really like. I it's years past like the VHS stage. I don't even know. I, I think I own like maybe a box of VHS tapes like from back in the day, oh, which mine I, are I all think gone. it's like in, I think it's all like in storage. And my storage is like there's a shed in my backyard, so I don't even know if that's I got anymore. I got like a DVD recorder in 2005, and all those VHSs went straight onto DVD discs. I have, uh, I do have, I still have a few VHS tapes. Um, I have that one Spring Stampede we did. I've got the ECW Foley tape, um, and I think a couple of others because I didn't keep a lot of VHS, but. Uh, I watched this one on VH. I think I rented it in '02, and watched it, and you know, had a very good time watching it because it's very good. <laughs> oh, I might still have one of those UK like only pay-per-views they did during the Attitude Era. Like I might still have one of the VHSs of that sitting around somewhere. Sure. All right. Well, like we said, probably one of or the. Um, best top to bottom show what do you guys think that that we've reviewed on on our podcast it would be top so, it'd be like top three maybe i'd have to really look back at everything we did yeah I, yeah i i would say too I, we'd have to look back at everything we did but it is easily in the top echelon of shows just because like the whole like the consistently consistency was there throughout and it was definitely like uh, the high volume of good to great matches so yeah, like it would be one of the best shows we've we've seen. Grand Slam, well might worth be people's the, time. Grand Slam might be the best thing I, I think we've done. Yeah, yeah. Well, God, they're both really good. So yeah, and that um twenty 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 one all out was pretty good too. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think that was better than this though. Yeah, it, we'd have to sit down and compare them all, but. Yeah. Maybe we'll do that sometime. Just, I mean, there's always blackjack them. for all. Oh, God. And with that, everybody, thank you for joining us for this episode. 
Um, we'd love to hear from you on social media. If you've got requests, you know, send them our way. I think we're closing in on the end of uh, the Dangerous Alliance series, which has been a lot of fun. And so um, this is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three corners. You're in the fourth, and we will catch you next time.